0: I could storm out. I
1: actually under... Please don't do that. <laughs> it is. It is so I've done so much research on this. I, that and so I, just, I can I really, tell
0: because I didn't understand <laughs> half of what you just said. So <laughs> I assume that that's a result of research. So-
1: Hi and welcome to Gen Extemporaneous. This is a podcast where I come up with an idea. I do some research, I grab a bottle of wine, I bring everything to Mark and he pontificates. This is the first of a multi-episode arc about true crime. In this episode, we will first talk about what genre is, and then we will dig into what genre theorists say about how genre functions as a symbolic construct in society. Finally, we will chat about how true crime operates as a genre, how it has evolved over time, and what possible impact it may have on those who consume it. Mark and I are not trying to ruin the guilty pleasure of using My Favorite murder as the soundtrack to your meditations, but remember, we're Gen X. We got our sensitivity chips late in life, and we're still learning how to use them. Hi, Mark Snedeker.
0: Hello, Christina Larusso. I don't have a lot of genre jokes, I don't think. (laughs) So, uh, a science fiction and a romantic history (laughs) novel walk into a bar. (laughs) All right, there it is. That's my only genre joke. That's the genre (laughs)
1: joke. Um, What I discovered as I started to dig into this is that there is a really big or they're not really a big theory around it but there's a lot of interest into why why do people like true crime
0: yeah i'm curious myself we
1: can't just enjoy it for the sake of enjoying it there has to be some kind of reason behind it so in this episode i fully intend to just yuck Spore everyone's the yum, shit out of it and yeah. <laughs> You'll never be able to listen to true crime without thinking of these things again, everyone.
0: (laughs) And we learn in this week's episode, the genre is not just next week's Wordle.
1: (laughs) That's right. Oh, would it work as a Wordle? Of course. Oh, it would. Five letters, for sure. Okay, Mark, I don't know if you are aware of this. Uh, I
0: mean, there's a chance that I'm not.
1: But true crime is really... A big thing for women.
0: Uh, yeah, I am well aware of that. <laughs> I am painfully aware of that. Especially when you call me the next day, and you're like, "Oh, I had these horrible nightmares because I listened to true crime while I was going to sleep, and now my brain is full of murder and mayhem." It
1: is. Well, I, I use it actually when I said that about people who use it as the soundtrack to their meditations. People are me. I'm people.
0: You are people. I
1: am people. I use true crime to put me to sleep. Because you know what it is? It's their voices are very soothing. soothing. Yeah. Even well, some they of them
0: are, right? Not like, you know, the full comedy ones. No, like, not the comedy. Oh, my God, girl. Did you even have any idea that happened? <laughs> no, I know. He's totally the murderer. <laughs> like, that's not that soothing.
1: No, no, that's
0: not soothing. Yeah. Well, I, know. I mean, I listen to like normal stuff. Like, right? like ocean waves. No, you, you, I don't listen to that going to sleep because oh. then I lose my place in the book. Ah. How, why would you ever go to sleep listening to some novel or story or whatever you're trying to actually hear? Oh. So I either listen to Ocean Waves uh-huh. or there's a podcast called uh, Send Me to Sleep or something like that where oh. they read passages from these. Like obscure sources, yeah. Like they read like uh, Marcus Aurelius. Oh my god! And uh, one of them was Peter Pan, oh. like the original James Barry novel or whatever. Oh.
1: So anyway, women make up seventy five percent of the audience for true crime.
0: That's an interesting demographic. I believe we share that demographic.
1: And we do. <laughs> well, are, most are, are of our listeners, true crime? Most of our listeners are women. We are going to be integrating a few. So we're going to do this episode, and then we're going to continue on down the line. So once we establish, we kind of contextualize what true crime is and how it functions in society. Right. And we'll use that as kind of an over. Arching sort of theme, right? And then we are going to start. Then we'll go and look at women and their consumption of true crime. Then we are also going to look at online, like online sleuths, and how that has come into play. There, there are some that can be dangerous. So we're gonna, we're gonna get into a discussion about that, and then maybe, maybe we'll take a a, maybe we'll take a a little whack at a true crime.
0: All right, some ideas.
1: (laughs) All right, so give me a hot take on true crime.
0: True crime. Mm -hmm. Well. It's. I mean, it's a little morbid, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're you're basically immersing yourself in the details of generally a horrendous crime. Mm-hmm. Almost always murders, I think. Mm-hmm. Kidnappings, torture, cannibalism. All the all the biggies. <laughs> God. Right?
1: Well, in that in that case, it is like, Jeffrey Dahmer.
0: Yeah, but nobody's listening to true crime arson, right?
1: No, but more and more we're seeing true crime scams. There's oh, like those for murder sure. yeah. and scam.
0: Women seem love to be- scams and murder. Uh, it is fascinating to me that this has become so big. And, you know, I know it's, I'm sure we'll talk about the history of it, but it seems that at least in the, like, the last five to six years, something like that, the genre has just exploded, mm-hmm. especially on podcasts. Mm-hmm. I mean, as professional, quasi-professional, Semi professional. That's not at uh, all professional. Amateur. Hobby podcasters. Amateur podcasters. We know that that format is one of the dominant genres of podcasting, Mm -hmm. right? There's news, true crime, I think is number two. Mm hmm. And it's really interesting, you know, why that has been the case. Of course, it's always fascinating. And there are always plenty of juicy, scandalous details, right, to kind of obsess over. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of mysterious to me because I'm a dude, right? I mean, not that guys can't like true crime. They certainly can. And I've certainly consumed some true crime in my life. Like, I'll watch a Jack the Ripper movie, you know, whatever. But it's just not, it doesn't hold the same level of fascination for me as it might for, you know, like a hardcore true crime fan who's got, you know, six or seven of the top true crime podcasts in their queue and just listen to them every day and they interact with their other fans and mm-hmm. they're all talking about this crime. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a weird thing to bond over murder. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> murder.
0: Uh-huh. Murder. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's a strange thing to bond over, but you can't deny the phenomenon. No, right? no, you
1: cannot. And, um, I totally agree with you that it is. It. I am a part of it, though. I am a part of that true crime community. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And and the thing is, is that you would you might say to yourself, "My gosh, well, there are only. Well, I mean, there are a lot, but they are finite. There's not just an unlimited number of cases. There are many, many, many cases. Oh, sure, tons but there, of crime. But, but there are
0: certain ones certain that are going to resonate. That
1: that really that really resonate. And yeah. then those ones are ones that you. Like five different podcasts could do a, an episode on that subject. yeah, And people will consume all of those podcasts oh, yeah. because get they, the are, full picture, they right? are interested in that subject. So there are a couple big true crime. And I don't
0: think it's even just the subject. I mean, although they clearly are interested in that, mm-hmm. but they're also interested in the way the podcasters and the community talk about it. Right. Right? They, they're they like, you know, okay, John Monet Ramsey is an, a good example. Well, we poll right?
1: people on our on our, our Twitter, on yes. our Gen X Temporaneous Twitter, and we ask them, like, what would be the ones that you would want what's solved? What's your best true crime What's, your, what's the one that you story? most would love to see solved?
0: And, and John Monet was Manet probably is top. John really
1: high on the list.
0: Yeah. I think um, Jack the Ripper maybe 20 years ago would have been higher jack
1: the ripper still gets a lot of it does it still gets a but lot people of are votes like, but they're less know.
0: excited about that now
1: yeah and it's right. really i mean it's really past they're never going to really be able to definitively say unless right. they would find an actual diary for yeah. a while a while back there was like the diary of jack the ripper okay so let's just do a little let's let's move things along here yeah. and get into let's get into genre
0: what about it
1: explain what it is
0: a genre, is it's just a categorization of literature or music or movies, some kind of art. Rock and roll is a genre. Pop is a genre. Soul is a genre. Country and Western is allegedly a genre, right? <laughs> Somewhat artificial, right? Because they just kind of decide, okay, you're a Western or you're science fiction. And some of them, but there are certainly crossovers. There are kind of genre ambiguous Type things, genre busting things, but it's just a way for us to taxonomically, you know, divide up our art.
1: It was originally literary, but now it's it's gone on to include art and music Everything. and things, other things like that. I mean, genre theorists even talk about it in terms of. Um, Like a syllabus as a genre. Like we understand. No, I'm telling you, people come to a syllabus expecting certain things. And you could probably guess what was going to be in a syllabus. I was reading an article on greeting, like greeting cards as a genre, because genre is a way of communicating symbolically bigger concepts. It's a construct that is interactive. It is almost like a chicken and an egg thing.
0: Yeah. So here's my thought.
1: Culture needs genre to right. help it organize itself and to, it has, it pre- performs a symbolic function. And then also culture, culture creates genre or helps genre is not static. Genre doesn't just stay the same. Right. It, it, it evolves over time in response to differing trends. And we'll talk about that, how how that applies to true crime. Let
0: me just throw throw this out there. Yes. If I were a specialist in genre academics, right? I'm one of the people who are talking about what genre is and investigating it. Mm -hmm. I might be tempted to call every fucking thing a genre to make sure I have enough work to do.
1: (laughs) All right, so there's all kinds of genre theories studies going on. Of course right? there are. Of course, because you know academics need, as you said, have, things to they talk about. To do, yeah. There are all kinds of d- genre theory studies being undertaken. The one that we're going to focus on is called rhetorical genre studies. And this is a term that was coined by Aviva Friedman, in which scholars, genre theory scholars, examine genre as typified social action.
0: You know what that sounds like? That sounds like something that if you announced that as your major, your parents would be really pissed. <laughs>
1: they are. They're gonna be like, "Couldn't you just like, have come gone on? To why? Yeah, school? come on. Just
0: take be an engineer." <laughs> genre rhetorical <laughs> bullshit. Whatever.
1: All right. So within this study, Charles Bazerman, who's a genre theorist, says that genres are not just forms; they are forms of life. What? They are ways of being. They are frames for social action. They shape the thoughts we form and the communication by which we act. Now, Baserman, here's a, here's a guy who would understand the greeting card stuff. He has undertaken a study. His article is called The, the Languages of Edison's Light.
0: Uh-huh.
1: He studied the history and workings of the multiple activity systems and their associated genres. What? Listen, the multiple activity <laughs> systems and their associated genres that Thomas Edison needed to engage with in order to create...
0: Engineering, I think, would have covered it.
1: No, so he had to... He, he, journalism, finances, he had to understand... Oh, yeah, because he know, had so to like, figure
0: out how to steal Tesla's uh, designs. <laughs> equity
1: markets, p- <laughs> patents...
0: Yeah, he was good courts, at that one. And the
1: civil regulation, industrial laboratories, commercial marketing. Each of those systems have their own way of communicating, and he had to be able to He had to be able to communicate with with all of those different things in order to do what he ended up doing
0: he's expanded the definition of genre unacceptably in my mind, in your but, mind but, but, see, but we'll we'll work with it no you know? yeah
1: we have to work with it and well, i actually i think he's saying that with all within amongst systems there are systems yeah, yeah and he's he's a guy who's trying to do this thing right that crosses multiple systems so yeah but like he's i wouldn't do call do the,
0: plumbing a genre right no
1: it's not a genre but he has to be able to comp- he, if he had to have some plumbing communication, he would have to be able to to communicate with them in a way that they could, that would resonate with them. Well, I
0: mean, and then you've expanded genre to include just, like, jargon, right? Like, specialized jargon.
1: Yes, as a part of a genre that allows them to understand what he's trying to communicate to them.
0: So then a genre, instead of just being what I said, which is a category of of art, right? A, A category, you know, within a certain art form, is really... A system of language and symbols and uh, jargon and whatever used to communicate a certain type of thing. Right. Is that's that what
1: That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. If I was are a forms, genreist,
0: I would be in favor of that because then that sounds like more opportunities for a payday for me.
1: Well, it is. Genres are, are forms of life, ways of being, they are frames for social action. They
0: shape forms of life.
1: They shape the thoughts we form,
0: yeah. and the
1: communication by which we act. So, so
0: Klingons are a genre.
1: <sighs> they're a species.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Well, look at Dharma. They communicate with a certain fra- well, within a certain framework.
0: Right, that's right. They have they use metaphors within their mythology. Correct. Right? So
1: that's you know that would be so if you were not fluent in that genre, you it would you would have you would have, you would struggle to be able to get things done with yeah, that. I
0: mean, I can understand how you slap the word on it and, and we can kind of agree on what it is, but it's a bit of a term of art at this point, right? Okay, we've, well, we've gone beyond what normally we would think of as genre.
1: Okay. Well, yes, but that's what this is. That's what this podcast is all about, Mark. Pushing boundaries. I, I can see that. And our understandings of <laughs> <and> things.
0: <laughs> all right. All right. So let's do it.
1: All right. So uh, genres are represented through language. Texts are performance of the genre. Okay. Genres are defined by their communicative practices, but those are sometimes difficult to discern. Great. Genres are not static. They evolve as necessary. Yeah. So they are going to evolve as society evolves, as things change, and we'll see how that works with true crime. It's actually I like pretty-
0: how the genreologists have given themselves a back door there in case something doesn't quite work. <laughs> They're like, yes, well, it has evolved. <laughs> okay. So. Now, Aaron, no, no, listen.
1: <laughs> Genres, here's another one that's a little bit confusing. Genres have an intrinsic structure. Yes. But those structures may vary.
0: (laughs) I I, I totally agree with that, right? Because just think of it this way. Like a movie could be a Western, right? We know what that structure looks like, right? Horses, guns, you know, saloons, things Mm -hmm. like that. But, of course, they vary, right? Otherwise, every Western would be the exact same movie, Mm -hmm. right? So some of them are, you know, the the, uh, retired gunmen. Some Mm -hmm. of them are damsels in distress. Some of them are train robberies, you know, whatever. Right. So I totally understand that.
1: Okay, well, and... Also, I could say I would say this. So some genres are Western, and whatever that whatever the Western genre is meant to communicate to the audience, right? A, however, a genre theorist would say, well, a Western does this in right. society, functions this right. way as a symbolic thing in society. You could have a Western that's set in the West. But you could also have a Western that's set in outer space.
0: That's correct. Which, like Firefly or Or Star Star Wars. Wars. Right,
1: okay. The Uh, Star Wars, we like to say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They are created by social groups who need them to perform certain things. Now, when we talk about things like this, when you get to the point where you're talking about, you know, theoretically, or these are all theoretical concepts. We are not trying to say that someone sat down at a certain point and with a piece of paper yeah. and a pencil. How and How do said, we okay, communicate
0: now, heroism in the face of danger? Oh, a Western. Okay. okay. <laughs> right. Well, let's right. do that then. Yeah.
1: Like what, 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 and what, what would there that- be in
0: that? Would there be dust? Okay, good. <laughs> and
1: what, so that's not like that, but they are created via experience in society and then they are also then become something that helps to maintain a certain way of being. So, you know, it's symbolic.
0: Are you guys still with us? you guys leave the room to go get a snack but we are getting pretty academic here
1: sorry but that but that's your thing this is my thing thing. okay so so like if we accept that there's this theoretical concept genre that's a construct that is now symbolic in nature and that it probably has some sort of impact on the systems with which it interacts one
0: thing we do is we consume the media the uh, in that genre genre, right i like science fiction I consume the science fiction, right? I listen to the books. I read the books. I watch the movies. I watch the TV shows. I play the video games, right? right? Okay. But in addition to that, I also use that as a way to communicate with friends. Like, I mean, I do it here in the podcast. I make science fiction jokes, Mm -hmm. right? That's impossible to do if the genre of science fiction isn't, A, existent, but also generally understood, among the you know with the among the audience yeah even right? if you
1: don't like science fiction right. you understand that science fiction exists because right.
0: I can't make a joke about the Palpatine pop that we made to drink the, to this afternoon mm-hmm. if people don't understand Star Wars right. right and I can't make a joke about aliens or something like that if they don't understand the kind of the tropes and common themes of science fiction correct right? correct so we use it to communicate with each other. And Dharmakian style. Right. Right? So if I make a Klingon joke, everybody knows what I'm talking about.
1: People have a shared understanding of what to expect from certain genres. You right. were bringing that up. Okay. So, so that's absolutely correct. Some genres are useful in, in a, certain, in a situation, certain situation.
0: Whereas another genre might be less so.
1: Again, right. yes. If you are, well, here, let's use the greeting card. So if you're wanting to give someone just something, a little quick way of letting someone know that you're thinking of them, a greeting card might be a better way to do that than writing them a dissertation.
0: I prefer an epic poem. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You want to know how I feel about you? Darmok and Jalad on the ocean.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So genres are only useful insofar as they remain salient and understandable to... The, right they the, have to
0: provide information and context for whatever is being communicated right. right
1: so let's let's bring this zero this down now into true crime because right. because we're talking very theoretically about genre this this foundation was necessary so that, can, so that we can so that we can move forward choices. with what we are going to be talking i feel like you kind of are no I feel i'm like with this you this has been kind of a tough you know what i really think i think <laughs> that it's me. been it's not an easy thing to make jokes about
0: i mean look i already told you there's only so many (laughs) genre jokes that i can really do that's a that's Uh, a tough assignment
1: mark's not super comfortable right now he can't make jokes but here we go we're going to talk about true crime so now what i want to do is kind of talk about how theorists view true crime as something that functions in the world as a symbolic it, how, it help, how it works, how it
0: how it, it helps uh, us understand our world. Right. right. So
1: here's how it it helps provide order symbolically yeah. to people in the world.
0: The same way like the myths of certain civilizations, like Viking myths, it explains why the world is the way it is, helps them understand the world. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, we can look at this in terms of, you know, trying to get to Valhalla, whatever, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm or um, trying to understand why there's thunder that type of thing so right. it gives them context and tools with which to understand life around
1: them right how how to interact with the world and how for the world to be and i would argue and this is something that you know you see a lot of in in sort of my history studies that i that i did where people get into the study of symbolism is it it helps people feel more confident and in control of their surroundings yeah it's usually boils down to that
0: well i'm all for that
1: (laughs) Um, does everybody
0: feel more confident as of right now (laughs) i don't know maybe maybe
1: everybody's like wow "Wow, this this is heavy i told you everyone we're gonna take all of the pleasure out of true crime draining
0: all the joy (laughs) (laughs) and yet
1: you'll never be able to listen to true crime again uh, without thinking about this so all right so True crime as, as a genre, there is a very interesting uh, doctoral dis- dissertation by Rebecca Frost called Identity and Ritual, the American Consumption of True Crime.
0: What's up, Rebecca? Add
1: <laughs> <At> us. <laughs> she's oft mentioned in any uh, like vlogs and things like that that talk about this subject.
0: Because nobody else bothered to do it.
1: dissertation <laughs> she's, this. I guess, <laughs> I guess not. But anyway, so she, her thesis is that true crime is a genre that serves as a restoration ritual that responds to a communal rupture.
0: Is that the first sentence of her dissertation? <laughs> no, that
1: is that you get into it uh, that, ways uh, ways oh, okay. on. But yes, Took that is it a while
0: to get to that point. Well,
1: yeah, as you imagine a little bit using
0: it was before he, that.
1: So what she says is that it reassures people that authority that, that an authority figure is in control. Right. And that it instructs people how to feel about crime, criminals and victims. Right. Okay, so this, is, right. her, this is her This is her thesis. I thought it was an interesting thesis. I, I take issue with it in, in some places, but we're not going to go, like, it's not a page-by-page discussion of her dissertation. I mean, that
0: sounds fascinating. Maybe we'll do that for our After Dark. <laughs>
1: but let's talk about the evolution of true crime as a genre. Okay, so true crime, what she's arguing is in the Americas, true crime starts off with something called the... Bible. No, the Execution Sermon.
0: All right. I have no idea what that is. Okay. I know what murder ballads are. <laughs> I don't, do you know that's a thing? No. There's a, it? it's, a, it's a genre of music from the Appalachians, or Appalachians, depending on how you prefer to pronounce that, that is basically, you know, it's basically about men killing women it's pretty horrible yeah i mean you know it was a it was a it was an art form men killing women <laughs>
1: why am i for not for
0: facelessness or who knows right whatever right. we accuse them of that day
1: okay so, well i mean so
0: now tell me what the difference between, what is yours now
1: okay an execution sermon uh this is sort of you know right in the puritan time frame yeah uh it, it is it is it was a preached this is prior to the um Adversarial trial system, right? And so that you would have a guy who was a convict, who who was convicted. He had right. a, he had by the time these sermons were preached, typically
0: they had beaten a confession out of him, got him to confess <laughs> yeah. in some
1: way. And the the role of the pastor then is to bring him back to the community. And so the pastor has been typically, but only
0: so far back.
1: Well, in, the guy has been interacting. The pastor has been interacting with the the condemned. Yeah. Um, and and counseling him or her to re you know sort of re rejoin the faith, they assumed that anybody was capable of what it's not like in today where we go well what went wrong let's you know let's dig into his psychology yeah in those days they would say this is possible anybody could do this because of original sin oh, that's so right. so so the we're murder all we're all we're all sinful and so what the the execution sermon would do would be to talk about the condemned as a sinner... And people would sit around and listen to this and it would usually be the day of or the Sunday prior to the execution. Right. And the condemned would be sitting right there in the church listening to this, this sermon. And I Do like
0: bound up like Hannibal Lecter?
1: No, I will tell you I read I've read a couple of execution <laughs> Cuz that's sermons. what I would want. Yeah. Wow. That is that is intense and there's a lot of scripture quoted. Oh,
0: I have no doubt. And
1: it is uh, it, it is a 100% about the criminal. It's not like his childhood or anything. Like like that it's just about you know sort of his falling away from you made the some right. bad choices he, there yeah Clem. and then here's how you know we yeah. have to be he's a cautionary tale you could it could easily happen to any of you you because you're right. all you're all in the same seth you guys seth aren't Wilson.
0: any better than goodman brown here no,
1: you've got <laughs> this is it the, this was like the one of the earliest forms of communicating true crime in the americas now yeah. i would argue that she probably should have gone and looked at some European sources because stuff like this was happening, right. and people were dealing with crime before Puritan New England, right? Yeah. But
0: I mean, weren't there like novels? And yeah.
1: Well, whatever? there were. There were. I mean, you you would have had it be in the villages, in small communities, oh, yeah. it would have just been something that like you, it, you know, play. you would
0: puppet show. Or you something.
1: would you would be talking about it. It would yeah. be something that you know, if something like that happened in a small village, it's a big deal. Like less uh, yeah. so in a big city, but still, right. you know. Murder is not a; it is a rupture in the community, sure. Spe, especially if the community is small. Okay, so, so these these execution sermons are, are kind of the first hurt, what she claims are the first sort of foundations of true crime in in this in the United. States. Now, well, would they talk about the, the
0: particulars of the crime?
1: Um, or just no, the, the, so they wouldn't really go into what he did. It would really just be about his sinfulness right. and that he fell away and that he allowed the sinfulness to overtake his his you know his better nature and he was driven by his sinfulness it was really about him and then reconciling him with the the ch- the church and the community all right to a point but not to where you got to feel so sorry for him that you said well why are we why are we yeah. executing and then him?
0: At, so at a certain point so he's talked about all these things and they're like yeah you know what we could have all been Goodman Brown here and, you know, he just did what any of us might do. So let's cut him loose. Yeah. No. And and the never, like, oh, no. Oh, no Preacher's no. like, no, 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 no. We don't want to empathize that much. Not
1: that much. Like, no. You want to watch him as a cautionary tale. You want to see that yeah. he comes back into the community. But we're still going to slaughter. But we're him. still going to kill him. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. And then, you know, then the execution would happen. And so is this
0: supposed to make them feel better about killing him?
1: Um, I think it's supposed to make, the, it's supposed to be cautionary, and yeah. I think it's supposed to make them feel good that the the rupture has been healed, that he was right. astray, but he's been brought back enough, and now he will get his punishment, but yeah. he's back in the church family. We
0: rehabbed him enough to put him to death.
1: Well, and and then the, the execution also would be, she doesn't go into this in her, in, her, her ass, or in her dissertation, but I think I would argue that the execution itself is a part of...
0: The denouement (laughs) is
1: a part of the learning process and a part of the part of the symbolic nature of healing the rupture and then seeing that there's authority and order. Okay, like
0: it's taking place. Okay, murdered him.
1: So then you go from execution sermons. It evolves to. What are called trial reports. So this is once the adversarial system starts kind of taking okay. effect yeah. um, into the, I guess like the eighteenth, mid nineteenth century, eighteenth century when the adversarial. All oh, right, so don't rub it in. That, <laughs> and I would argue that actually even prior to that, well, as uh, with the uh, the advent of the printing press, you're gonna, you start to see things like broadsides happening yeah. where where you get information shared yeah. the, about. Uh, murders and things that are crimes that have happened but anyway trial reports and what this is are are documents that are then composed not by the preacher but by someone who has observed a trial right and who comes out of it it's it's journalistic in nature and so that's when you get pamphlets newspapers and trial reports short form but you start in these trial reports to hear about the victims. Right. So the victim is not present at all in the execution sermon. But then wow. now you now with trial reports you start to hear about the victim because all the right. victim is a player in this. Sure. Um, then you move on to novels. Now, so you go you go you go sc- screaming forward to um, uh, to a point where people are writing novels about crimes. Most famously, I think that the one that really sets things off is like a modern way of talking about true crime. Is, do you know? Truman
0: Capote. Truman Capote in cold blood. Yep. I would argue that before that, you had, especially in the American West, you had a lot of, uh, you know,
1: like those di- dime the novels, dime novels
0: about you know Billy the Kid yeah. and all those. So I mean, I would argue those are true crime. But yeah, Truman Capote is the is the origin or at least one of the early examples of a modern true crime novel.
1: Right, and then followed by Helter Skelter. Right, um, and then then you go into TV movies, like TV really um, of like short form and long form documentary. Yeah, about and then you, that's when you get things like forensic files and. And uh, datelines and things like that that yeah. are talking
0: about Oh, before that?
1: True crime, yeah.
0: Joe Friday. Dragnet? Yeah, Dragnet. They were they would base a lot of those stories on actual crime. Oh. Okay, so yeah, then now we're now we're, so date now we're line, in, so, okay. 2020, right. Sixty minutes, all those things.
1: Which then brings us to now and one of the most common ways that people and you mentioned it earlier on consume true crime is through podcasts.
0: Right. Because that's what, I mean, first of all, you get the leisure of listening to it, you know, whenever, right. You don't have to plan your time to watch a show and you can use it in eyeball uh, when, when you don't need your eyeball time. Right. So Mm -hmm. you can just, while you're driving, while you're doing the laundry, whatever it is. And so it's ease of consumption and they'll focus on one story for a very long time, yeah. in a lot of cases, right?
1: Well, so You'll podcasts, do a season,
0: yeah. Podcasts
1: of, have evolved. Yeah. So you start out with things like Serial that give Which you was a like, great right is
0: a great podcast by the way. Yeah. Serial, I think it's much more professional journalistically, I think, than a lot of true crime podcasts. Sure, of course, because it's it comes from the This American Life, uh, mm-hmm. NPR.
1: Right, and so some people love that kind of a podcast. Mm-hmm. Others like the podcasts that tell you each week a different story. Right. Sometimes people like them to be very serious. Sometimes people like them to be comedic. Uh, sometimes people like a mix. Again, like I said in the beginning though, the subject, you can go from podcast to podcast to podcast and you hear the same subject, but it's a different presentation of it maybe, yeah. or you, maybe they'll come up with some kind of kernel or new I mean, way of looking at how it. How many
0: podcasts are doing the Delphi murders? Oh, like not 100? enough.
1: Please, let us... Please let us catch Bridge Guy. I really want Bridge Guy. That is my, that is one of mine. But okay, so anyway, I'm digressing away from, from the subject. But yeah, uh, you end up having all of these. So podcasts have evolved as well. Right. One of the things that imbues the true crime narrative with, gives it authority, right? Yeah. Who's the authority? Where's the the, right. the authority coming from? Because all of these things have to have, some kind of place where it's like, okay, I trust the yeah, person. Some, some
0: credible source. There's
1: like, like a, gotta be a credible source. Like
0: Somebody has got to be the dad of oh, the story.
1: Right. So the evolution generally in, yeah. in Frost's telling of this is it has gone from being the ultimate authority Underpinning the narrative is religious in nature, right. to very secular in nature.
0: Well, as, um, as well we should. <laughs>
1: so initially, the the execution sermons, obviously, pretty even, religious. They're religious. God is the authority there. The the preacher is the one who is.
0: He's the interpretive. Is force, interpreting it, right.
1: but he he is backed up by the authority of of God, right?
0: right. Um, then, Not unlike myself.
1: <laughs> and then when you get into oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> then when you get into the trial reports. Yeah. Your the authority comes from the fact that the person was in the trial. Right. They saw they yeah. saw what was yeah. going on and so then they bring out the information and they interpret it for the readers and they and usually those were pretty like just here these are the facts yeah, of, of what was dry, going right. going on. Then you get to I would
0: spice it up a little bit if I were them, right? Well
1: eventually they did. So then yeah. you end up getting to the novelists. And so then novelists yeah. initially would have been just like essentially long form trial reports. But right. then you get into Truman Capote, who right. brings Novelizations. who has who does a very interesting interpretation of the crime and he's he's telling more of a story than just the trial report he is has a different source of authority because he interviewed the criminals yeah he interviewed the townspeople who were facing this rupture in their town yeah he did that legwork and that's where his authority is coming from so readers look at him and they say well he met these people helter skelter which is another amazing true crime book about the manson family by um Bugli- Bugliosi, who was the um,
0: prosecutor, was
1: the prosecuting attorney. Yeah, he was, of course, the attorney. So he yeah. told the Vincent. story. Vincent, Vincent, yep. And he,
0: Vinny, baby, he, he
1: told the story based on his authority, which was as as the, a participant in the trial. You know, the prosecutor. Yeah. Um, and then now you go forward and you get to people like um Michelle McNamara, who wrote. Uh, the book about the Golden State Killer, and unfortunately, she was she lost. By him. She, no, she didn't. She didn't get oh. killed by him. She she lost her life. Uh, I I think due to a drug situation, oh. perhaps brought on by the stress of doing all of the research. But she was deep into the research. She's yeah. essentially an internet sleuth, that, and we're see, gonna we're gonna talk more about that. I feel like
0: that's a real danger in this genre because you're you're exploring really the dark depths of humanity when right. you're talking about these things. And you know, maybe in her case, it's just all of that just gets to you, man. It just poisons you. Yeah. And just like, you know what? I <laughs> humanity's fucked. Uh I'm out, you know?
1: it, it- you know, it's scary. It's scary, and so, so in the case of her, so her authority comes from the fact that she's perceived as doing just a ton of legwork. She really got involved. Um, she she actually spoke with Paul Holes, who is the person I think actually was integral in capturing the Golden State Killer. Oh, I thought killer. you were
0: going to say he was the. Killer.
1: No, yeah. Paul Holes is a, a detective. Jensen and Holes is, is is a is its own podcast, true wow. crime podcast. But anyway, he was a detective.
0: By the way, we expect all of you podcasts that we we're mentioning to reciprocate.
1: Yeah, so. come on, we're giving you some free press, yeah. everyone. But her authority comes from the fact that she was, you know, an internet sleuth, but she was respected and yeah. and had access to rep files and things like that, and she did interviews, so she was she was really doing her research, and and I think her audience. So the, those are sort of I'm the ready. different the different evolutions. There's one more evolution. It's the evolution of focus. Yeah. How has true crime's focus changed, or has it?
0: Can I ask a question? Mm-hmm. Is this going to be on the test? <laughs> <laughs> I have soccer practice after after this. I'm sorry,
1: I love this stuff. All right, so now you can excellent job. I'm just I'm just making
0: fun of you because that's (laughs) what I do.
1: This is more of a foundational episode. The other, the next episodes about this, I think, will be more chatty and more like our usual.
0: Would you feel more comfortable if I addressed you as Professor Larusso? No,
1: (laughs) God. The evolution of focus is about how the focal point of the true crime narrative has changed over time and has it how has it changed over time All right So if you look at the tr- the execution sermons as I mentioned the criminal yeah. was the full focus Right Okay So then you start getting into these trial reports and things like that and you start hearing about the victim They never mentioned the victim in the uh, execution sermons now suddenly when there's trial you start hearing about the victim
0: So I would say I would characterize it as uh, the, uh, execution sermons are about the sin and the sinfulness of the perpetrator. The trial reports are really about the facts of the case or the facts of the trial.
1: The facts of the trial with a focus very heavily on the criminal, but then also you get some of the victim coming in.
0: Okay. okay? Gotcha.
1: When the victim enters the fray though, something interesting happens. And that is you end up with people being almost critical of the victim.
0: Victim blaming, sure.
1: And so how- How could
0: you hitchhike on that lonely California highway, you ding dong?
1: Right. So when you start getting the victim in in the narrative, then you sort of look at it like, well, what did they do wrong?
0: And I think the reason for that is it's self-protective. We want to think, well, that happened to them, not because it was just random chance and the universe fucks with you like that. It's because they did something wrong. They
1: did something wrong, right? So it can't happen to me. Like, like, well- or if I if I am careful enough, right. if I'm you, if I, I do all of the things I can avoid I the things, like I have control, right? And again, if this
0: spoiler alert, you do not have control. <laughs> if
1: this if this genre is meant to symbolically help heal a right. rupture right. in society, if you're hearing that, reading it, or consuming it, however you can, however you consume it on TV or you want you know on up a, up a podcast, if you keep hearing that kind of like well here's the victim's story but the victim
0: made some mistake might have been a
1: prostitute
0: right so, so
1: if so like a lot of times in the especially in the in the early days of this when you know t- trial records and and broadsides and things like that a lot of times the victims are not just the innocent victims they always try and find something that they did right. maybe wrong right. and they they point out that if the the victim has a little bit of a dodgy history like sex work or whatever else um, they are retroactively condemned to death, so yeah. that their, their death is not that bad of a thing. Their death is kind of warranted.
0: That's how it goes. Yeah, when when you're one of those when people, when you're that, then you might get dead. You might get dead. Yeah, you might get unalive. You know, as they your say.
1: sin. If you know, and, and certainly early on. Well, I I think you know. There's moral judgment in like embedded in all of this. Yeah. So so. You, your while well, that guy who killed you definitely a sinner. You yeah, he's you're the bad a little, guy, but you are you are a too.
0: contributing factor. Yes,
1: right. So um, now, as you move into like the the true crime novels, like you get to Capote and you get to Helter Skelter and things. Since then, you get a little less victim blamey, but still not completely because. Often, the most interesting thing about the victim is, is the, that they is were the, murdered. Yeah, their lives are not. not I mean, because well, that's will, not really
0: part of the story. How they were fun to be around, or although
1: that is always mentioned. Well, they humanized. She lights them up a bit. room.
0: That's right. Of course, yeah, they Everybody loved
1: her. They by the, never the way, apparently,
0: lighting up a room is a very dangerous thing to do. Never. I evening, hope to
1: God I never light up a room. <laughs> that's right.
0: Because then you're going to be a target <laughs> for murder. I
1: know.
0: My God, I. How did I survive all this time? I don't know. I mean, look you, at me. You
1: just you dazzle. <laughs> I glow. <laughs> I mean, it's really glowing. all right. Then the question becomes, and you've mentioned this in other podcasts
0: where, well, how wise of me?
1: The, like random people who shoot up groups of people are now not being named. Right, you told me about that, that that there's like a trend in not naming the person who does the crime.
0: Yeah, because the copycats, that's part of, it seems to be at least part of their psychology is that they want to be famous, Mm -hmm. right, for killing, you know, all these people or whatever it is. So after the Columbine killings, there was this movement that sort of said, well, maybe let's not give them that publicity, right? Mm -hmm. We'll just call them the shooter, Mm -hmm. you know, and we'll talk, we'll we'll name the victims, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know how effective that is, but that's definitely a trend, right? I mean, does anybody know the name of the guy who was uh, shot people from that hotel room in Vegas? I don't know his name.
1: No, but do you know any of the names of the people who were shot either? No, of course not. No. but no, I know just, what you mean. You, you yeah. know what I mean? So but, like at, the, but at
0: least you're not, at least he's not famous, right? No,
1: he's not famous, but the crime is the definitely. Is, is definitely and there's no
0: way to get around that, you know, unless you're just going to cut off all news coverage of you know, of mass shootings, right? Which you can't do.
1: Right. So, but that trend is something that has been noted. Yeah. And sort of a focus shift. And I don't, I still think that, try as you might to make the victim not get victim blamed.
0: I think we do a better job at that now. Like the Connecticut school shooting or whatever. I mean, other than Alex Jones- or and a couple other loonies. Nobody's blaming those kids for getting shot. No, right?
1: no. But but in, in a one like a one person murder, if someone yeah. gets murdered, so even someone who like as very you mentioned Delphi murders before. Yeah. Two young girls, super innocent. But like, what could they have? Like, they were young girls, yeah, right? Just
0: on a bridge. They were
1: on a bridge, having a nice day off of school and walking. And uh,
0: did they skip school?
1: No, oh, no. Okay, there yeah. was a day off of well, school. I was they just did, looking for
0: things to blame them. They for. They did
1: all the right things. Yeah. However, if you go onto the onto the internet and you start reading about it, there's always someone sort of saying, "Well, were they on?" St-? They're trying to find evidence to help solve the crime because, of course, the sure. guy who did it is the one now that the focus is on the girls. And, and especially if they ever do find out who he is, well, my God, then the total focus will be on the, on that guy. Yeah. They'll go through his whole history and True. what happened to him when he was a kid that made him be Absolutely. the way that he is and all of this. Okay, so, so he is uh, – he will become the focus. He's still already very much the focus. And the girls – Although everyone knows that they are totally innocent, there is this kind of like, well, maybe they were Snapchatting and they got catfished. Well, yes, maybe that was what happened, but.
0: That's just a fact of the crime, though, and it really shouldn't be used to put any responsibility on them, but it does. But
1: it does. Because and
0: people want to feel like there's a way to avoid this happening right. to them. If right. They right? Had if I just don't do the things that they did,
1: or my they kids made a don't mistake. Do it. Yep.
0: If we do the right things, we'll be fine.
1: Right. So that is something that I, that I think that people are trying to put focus on victims and tell victims stories. But no matter how you tell a victim's story, there's always going to come the point where that person was alone in a parking lot or I, that person. If I ever person... write a
0: serial killer novel, my serial killer thing is going to be he kills people who do all the right things hey, that woman's carrying her keys as she's walking through the parking lot and she's in a well-lit place (laughs) and she has friends about. She's the one. (laughs) You're terrible. (laughs) I am terrible. Uh,
1: What do you think of this this idea that true crime is consumed symbolically? Even people aren't going to necessarily know it. You're not going to consume it and say to yourself i know that this is why i'm consuming it i'm trying to heal a rupture in society right right. right? like that's not conscious it's an unconscious it's like a very sort of archetypal
0: Uh, i think that's a reasonable partial explanation oh good can you
1: expand on what you think i sure can excellent
0: so i think that it's possible that it is it's them we're making sense of the world around us right Mm -hmm. and it allows us to process horrible events like that Mm -hmm. by going through what happened and and Examining those details and assigning causes and blame and things like that, so that you know we can then move on from that crime. But I don't think that ex- that's enough to explain all of it. I think there's also a certain appeal to the salaciousness mm-hmm. and that peek at the dark side of humanity. Mm-hmm. Like you wound know,
1: wound culture.
0: Yeah. There's a like, there's a
1: scholar who calls it wound I can't culture. think I can't think and you're, of just his, like, you have, you're, you're fascinated. You have a sore
0: tooth but you continue to probe it mm-hmm. type of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, how else do you explain things like horror? Mm-hmm. Right? That's just you're just looking at the darkest dark shit and for whatever reason that makes you feel better and or it entertains you or is interesting or whatever but i think it's it's both those things i think it's processing horrible events in the world but also i mean because if you look at true crime podcasts and novels. They do focus a lot on the salaciousness of some of the details, right? Mm-hmm. They're not just going to go, okay, we're not going to talk about how he killed her. Mm-hmm. They're definitely going to talk about how oh, he 100%, killed her. And now and, they're going to In gruesome include... detail with photos with and photos. whatever. And they'll make a show of not wanting to do it. Like, I really hate to do this and to show you photos, but here's some photos. Yeah. You know? And I think it's that, you know, exploring the dark side of humanity. Um, that is part of the, the attraction.
1: well, I, I, let's let's touch on that a little bit more because you know as a part of my research when I was in school, I worked a lot on death and how people related to death and yeah. and the good death, right like part of the execution sermon really was about bringing a criminal to a good death, yeah. right because like, you know he's dying. He's right. at that. He's, uh, he's at that time. He's dying. Marked for he's, elimination. Right. So he's he's in the process, and and doing that is, is causing that reconciliation with the community and with God was helping him or her, I guess, yeah. d- meet a good death, have a good death. Yeah. Um, in the same way that if you were just dying of whatever cancer, whatever, people would sit around you and and watch you and make sure yeah. that you would have a have a good death. We don't like death. But I think that people have a need to interact with death, and I think that horror or true crime and, and these details that kind of the salacious details that come out are a way for us to interact with death.
0: Yep. Look, but also morbid, morbid fascination is a thing, right? Right. Fascination with things, death, right. related and other horrible things, right? right? So we are fascinated by it as, as much as we are repelled by it.
1: I agree. I agree. I mean, not
0: me as much because I don't really consume a lot of death culture, death media Mm. type stuff. I just... I mean, I don't celebrate the the anniversaries of people I've lost. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's just not my thing.
1: You just live in denial.
0: That's kind of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like they're just on vacation.
1: And I, on the other hand, I'm like, can I just do it? My entire graduate. Yeah, <laughs> I am like, career? give me all the death. Just all I want to talk about is death, everyone. Yeah. But um, I mean, and I'm not. And but I'm very optimistic. But so. I think.
0: But I think. I mean, I think it's healthy to discuss death because mm-hmm. I mean, you do want to be realistic and you know know that you know people will not be with you forever. And that type of thing. And people who are gone, you don't want to pretend that they're not gone. Mm-hmm. But I just, and everybody has their own way of dealing with it. And for some people, it's really that fascination with morbid details and, you know. Well, we
1: don't see death as much anymore. And, and, and details have become more and more. So if you go back and look at the um, execution sermons. And you think about how that goes, and she's giving you kind of an incomplete. She's looking. She's very. This is one of the problems with her. With her dissertation, is she looked very? Did focused. you invite
0: her to come on? No,
1: <laughs> no. Is no. she, she dead? No. <laughs> <laughs> irony ironically (laughs) she was a victim of a true crime no um no but but if you look at she very she's very focused on the execution sermon but she's not thinking about what else is going on in that small community presumably even though that execution sermon didn't give all the salacious details they knew about the details in that community they just didn't they didn't hear from it from the preacher they knew about it they knew about it through gossip Right, right exactly they also then went to the execution. So there was a little bit of a you know, the blood sport aspect oh, of, of an course. of an execution. Yeah,
0: bring the kids. Right. Put out a picnic.
1: They did. People interacted death was much closer. People died in their homes. Sure. Nowadays people go
0: die in a hospital like to they hospital got or go to hospice yeah. or
1: whatever right. else. Um, they they die away from you. In the in previously, really in the in the as lo- as recently as the nineteen hundreds, <laughs> you know, when we were born. Um, yeah. <laughs> they I was would, like,
0: 1900s, people, that's really long time ago. Oh, wait, I was born in the 1900s. They would
1: yeah. have the viewing of the body yeah. in the house, you yeah. know, like in the parlor or wherever, yeah. in the dining room, up. something, you know, like the body would be on display for, for multiple days. Mm-hmm. Um, So you existed with death in a different way In historically. Yeah. Now it, our lives are much more sanitized and yet Good. we still yeah. need, I think sometimes people still need that, there's an unco- I think that there's something unconscious about us that need to have that experience and engage right. with death on some on some level. I'm not sure why that would. I, I don't. I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, Again, maybe it I is think just. It's,
0: I think it's morbid fascination yeah. is is a, a real thing, and um, you know, trying to make sense of the world.
1: I guess. Well, now one of the things that we're going to talk about in an upcoming podcast, and I mentioned early on, seventy five percent of listeners of true crime podcasts are are. Women,
0: yeah,
1: um, and they—they the, the, studies have found that they 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 express three main motivating factors for for doing that: social interaction. So they like the community that forms around it. You know, you you, you like true crime, but you also like to talk about true crime. So social interaction is one thing. Escape yeah. from why would you want to escape into true crime? I don't know
0: unless you've had a lot of people murdered in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, it is. Uh, you know it's a way to safely interact with death and get that morbid curiosity itch scratched without having to actually have somebody in your family die correct right so i think it's just a safe way to experience something that some people just are naturally drawn to right the you know
1: i don't think that you have to feel guilty about it either i've been oh, i no. was reading no. i was reading a lot online about how people tend to feel kind of uncomfortable, like they'll say it's my guilty pleasure. Yeah, I don't
0: have any problem. I mean, just because it's not my thing, I don't have any problem with people. I mean, because I I can see the appeal for some people, right? Mm -hmm. I don't have any problem with people consuming true crime. It's You're not, you know, victimizing the victim again or anything like that. Well,
1: now some people argue that, in fact, so there are people whose families, there's people who, who, like families of victims who say, Every time it's there's an episode about it, yeah. I have to relive that that well, But happened. you don't.
0: You, you know, don't, con- don't...
1: And some people are like, yay, talk about it as much as possible because we still need to find the, right, the killer. Right,
0: exactly. So for me, I'm totally fine with it. I don't have a problem with it. Of course, you know, the, as with anything, there are people who are less, res- less respectful than others, right? And they really do, you know, get giddy about some of the horrible things that have happened but for the most part I think people consume it in a natural normal way and they shouldn't be shamed for that at all
1: correct okay and so then the final thing is voyeurism which is which you brought up sort of that 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 wound culture, like yeah. wanting to wanting to see things that yeah. you wouldn't normally see. It's right. sort of like, ooh, you know. And and uh so I, I think that that those three things are, are supposedly motivating factors for women. But if you all I am telling you, if you talk to women about it, one of the things that they inevitably say is it helps me not to be her.
0: Right. They right. think like that they, 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 learned, they think that this is going to protect mistakes you. that the other that the victim made that right. they now won't duplicate.
1: I heard a very interesting podcast um, you're wrong about with Sarah Marshall and she had a guest on it who herself was a victim of true crime. Yeah. And she said not there was, fake crime. There was not she was, she was a victim of a violent attack. Right. And um, trigger warning she was just walking in a park and someone attacked her and stabbed her. Yeah. And she said there was nothing I could have done Nope. to prevent that if I because I guess some people said to her well what if you had a gun? You know yeah. and she said I
0: zero chance shoot I would shoot have been
1: someone. shot if oh, I had yeah, had a gun right. you know, the chances are, but she said, you know, she was attacked from behind and they stabbed her. yeah. And she said, I there's nothing I could have done to prevent that except for not go walk in a park. Right. Well, I mean, you come on you have, to, you have to live yeah. life. Okay, so let's wrap it up. I think what I want to say here is that I thought that the argument that true crime is a, as a genre is a symbolic way for people to, Heal a rupture. I found that a compelling argument. I think. I think it's incomplete
0: because not everybody is, that likes true crime has even experienced a close death, right?
1: Well, no, but but it's the, a social it's a social thing, so it's not thing. even it's not even y- your rupture. It's yeah. just a, anything like that is theoretically a rupture in us, you know, in a community. But in the meantime, I think that this is it. Do you have anything else that you would like to add? I, I Mark? would
0: say that I think ultimately. This arc is going to be very informative and entertaining, and we are doing a lot of groundwork here, mm-hmm. so hang with us.
1: Oh, boy. This is a bad <laughs> sign, everyone. I think Mark thinks that this is a boring episode. Well, I don't think
0: I was as uh, sparkling as I am in some because there's only so many jokes I can make about some of this stuff, right? No,
1: it's not a funny subject. Well, but this yeah. is getting you prepared for what's coming next. We have some exciting news.
0: Oh, yes. Well, we, we're working on We're it.
1: working on some on a new potential we've been asked to take part in something that will be really interesting it's going to be a panel style podcast where i will moderate and mark will be a panelist with uh one of our listeners who is now wanting to develop his own his own podcast yeah and so we're gonna do um we're gonna do that with him and that's going to be serious subjects so mark is not gonna I mean mark you can't stop him from making jokes you really everyone. can't
0: i mean that you see the light In the tunnel and the train is coming and you just can't stop it or get out of the way.
1: But he will have to be more serious. So it'll be a little bit more like this and then there will be other people talking too, not just Mark.
0: Wow, that seems ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Who would want that?
1: So we are really appreciative. I don't know
0: if that's a good sales point to say less Mark. I don't know. I mean, people are probably like, oh, I'm not listening to that then. Less Mark.
1: <laughs> there might be a whole slew of people will go. Well, okay then. I
0: want my Mark TV. <laughs> I
1: want my Mark TV. <laughs> All right. So thank you very much, everyone, for coming to listen to us every week. We appreciate it. We have social media. We do a Facebook page, Gen oh. X I am at Serious Produce on Twitter, where I am very active. Mark is at Mark Eats Peach. He is less active, but more wow. more savage.
0: Yes, I definitely <laughs> do. And, uh, and we have the Instagram and the uh, TikTok. And we don't really do TikTok that much because we're protesting it.
1: I, I have actually deactivated my TikTok. in uh, oh.
0: right.
1: protest.
0: <laughs> All right, everybody. Peace out, Cub Scouts. And uh, stay safe out there.
1: Bye. Wow.
0: Thanks for announcing that I was telling a joke.
1: <laughs> well, you know how I know?
0: Yeah, because I started looking less Cause,
1: Cause he, he's got this Because like, <laughs> he's got this little physical tic that he does I'm when like, he knows when a joke is coming. He's like, look, like, it's almost like you're looking well, for I'm, the audience. Well, I'm like, like
0: checking traffic, right? Is there anything going to kill me from that side? Nope. How about this side? Nope. Safe to make a joke.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's green light, baby. <laughs> wow. Um... you notice
0: that when we walk into a room that all eyes turn to me
1: usually because you do a dance step that's right well (laughs) i'm
0: not saying i don't contribute yourself i don't i'm not saying i don't court it somewhat